If you enjoy the conversations in this podcast and want to help us continue to provide great content for the community, please consider supporting our work by becoming a friend of the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the JCC. As a friend, you'll receive insider access to artists and VIP events, special passes to arts programs, and unique gifts from the JCC. To learn more, please visit jccmanhattan.org slash friends hyphen AI. Welcome to 76 West, a podcast of the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan, featuring talks from the JCC's Conversation Series, a marquee program of the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas. This podcast is brought to you by Zabars and Zabars.com. This week's episode, Exploring the Science of Creativity, Meditation, and the Brain, features a conversation between renowned psychiatrist Dr. Norman Rosenthal, classical guitar virtuoso Sharon Isbin, and esteemed transcendental meditation teacher and CEO of the David Lynch Foundation, Bob Roth. In their conversation, they discuss how stress impacts the creativity centers of the brain and how meditation can help heal and awaken our senses. This conversation was recorded in front of a live audience on May 10th, 2017. I thought that was gonna be very abrupt. Now silence everything. Thoughts, body, (laughs) very difficult to do. Um, It's wonderful to be here. I love the JCC, I love joy. Whenever I'm here, I feel great happiness. And to come in during the week and 8,000 strollers, it's, a, it's absolutely fantastic. The only place like this in, in New York City. Um, how many of you practice or have tried some form of meditation? New world, isn't it? Like 10 years ago, never would have happened. I've been meditating for, OK, 48 years. And I started in my early 60s. No, I, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, sorry, I, I'll focus. Um, and um, over that time, meditation went from like who wanted to mention the word. I remember when I was teaching meditation early on, some of my parents' friends in my 20s, some of my parents' friends would say, Well, what's your son Bobby doing? And they'd say, Teaching meditation. Because what? Nobody wanted to say. Now today, it's, notice, the tipping point is tipped. It's like, you say the word meditation, generally people say, I want that. I don't think I could do it, but I want that. And what's happened? I think the problem of stress and anxiety is greater than ever before, unquestionably. I think the fact that, and we're going to hear this from Dr. Rosenthal, the fact that modern medicine, you know, we turn to a drug. We turn, we're sick, we turn to a pill. Modern medicine has no pill that we can take that's going to prevent stress and toxic stress and even trauma. And there's no pill we can take to cure it. We mask it. We manage it with Xanax and Klonopin and Adderall or 12 cups of coffee and 12 glasses of wine. But the infection of stress continues. And the third reason I think it's so prevalent today is science. Science. The word meditation, which used to be fuzzy, is now very, we understand more what it is. There's some junk meditation, like there's junk food, and there's some meditations that are legitimate and strong and 
good for us. So tonight we're going to have an opportunity to really look at meditation in general, but we are going to zero in on the expertise of the three of us here, transcendental meditation. This is not pushing a technique. This is just letting you know about a particular technique and what it does. Um, and before that, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from a masterful, rare, virtuoso classical guitarist and a beautiful woman. Um, Sharon Isbin is, is acclaimed for her extraordinary lyricism, technique, and versatility. She is a multiple Grammy Award winner who has been hailed as the preeminent guitarist of our time. Sharon is going to perform two gentle Spanish pieces, and then I'm going to welcome her for a discussion. But please give a very warm welcome to a very beautiful person, Sharon Isbin.
Thank you for a transcendent experience. <laughs> well, music really is a lot like meditation. You, you go to another place, and it takes you to a faraway world. And my goal as a performer is to share that with you. As I said to my students before they were doing a competition, I was trying to relax them a little bit. And I said, it's really all about loving the music and sharing that love with others. When you are performing, do you feel when you're bringing the, when you're bringing the audience sort of to that more transcendent, can you feel that connection? Does it take some time when you're at Carnegie Hall and there's sort of, and then can you feel that? Well, I feel your energy and that is part of the dialectic that happens with a live performance. It's, it's very different from sitting in a studio and make a re making a recording. You try to imagine that place for yourself, but it's, it's very exhilarating as a performer to get your energy while I am playing. So what we're going to do is we're gonna, I'm going to have a conversation for about 10 minutes with Sharon and then I'm going to bring Dr. Norman Rosenthal up for about a, to join us for a, another 20 minutes or so, altogether 25 minutes to talk about creativity, continue talking about creativity, meditation, and the brain. And then we're gonna open up for a few minutes of questions. And when we talk about meditation, just to sort of get a definition here, I like to use an analogy of an ocean. And you're on a little boat and you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and all of a sudden you get these giant 30, 40 foot high waves and you could think, oh my gosh, the whole ocean is in upheaval. But the word whole ocean is a bit of an exaggeration because if you could do a cross section out there, you'd realize that there's surface, these little 30, itty bitty 30 foot waves, but the ocean in reality is more than a mile deep. And while the ocean can be turbulent on the surface, it is by its nature pretty darn silent at its depth. And the mind is, we use an analogy, the mind, the surface of our mind is the monkey mind or the active thinking mind or the gotta, 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 gotta mind, all the things we gotta do. And so everyone has a natural desire to have some inner calm or clarity or focus or creativity. And the operative word there is inner. And the question is, is there such a thing as an inner? And if so, how do we get there? And for thousands of years, the purpose of meditation has been to access that inner. And we'll hear from Dr. Rosenthal, some of the, the uh, science behind different types of meditation. But when we talk about the technique that Sharon has, how long have you been practicing TM? TM, I started when I was 17 years old. So that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> And so what Transcendental Meditation does is it just gives access to that effortless access to that silence that lies within. And when that happens, your body gets deep rest, it throws off stress, and it wakes up the brain. <clears throat> what, what does it feel like when you meditate, when you transcend? As you say, every meditation is different. So there are times when you have more thoughts, and that could be a sign of stress being released. And there are times that you go to a very blissful place that feels as if it's in another world, and you feel very connected somehow to the universe, and it feels a sense of oneness, really. And it's, it's a high. I mean, it's such a, a pleasurable feeling, but yet very meaningful. And I often find I'll get great ideas either when I just start meditation or when I end one 
and of course the challenge is to try to remember what that idea was. <laughs> but it's it's a f wonderful way of accessing inner creativity, and I, I really don't think I would be half the musician I am or have half the career I've had if I had not meditated for all these years. It's uh, a remarkably, like any major position in the world and job, it's, it's stressful. So how you deal with that and how you relate to that is something that TM has, has given me the tools to do, and it's so simple. I mean, 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon, you get trained with five two-hour sessions and you're good for life. What, what else, what, how much more simpler could, could it be? And I can do it on airplanes, buses, trains. It's, it's, for me, one of the things that is so helpful is that I have to keep going at all hours of the day and night working sometimes. And come four or five o'clock when you feel like you just want to have a nap, I sit down to meditate, and I emerge after going somewhere else. It feels like an incredibly deep, sometimes, state of sleep. I come back, and I feel totally rejuvenated, as if I hadn't been worn out at all, or I haven't, hadn't worked at all that day. Are you, by nature, or were you as a child, a cre would you have considered yourself a creative person? Were you in, interested in the arts? I mean, just briefly, how did this give us an overview of your career arc? Well... I would have been a scientist. That was really my passion. I, my father used to say I couldn't launch my model rockets until I put in an hour on the guitar. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's how they bribed me to keep going. Our family moved to Italy when I was nine for a year. And when an older brother said he wanted guitar lessons, met the teacher who had studied with Segovia, was touring, and realized it was classical, he said, not for me. I want to be Elvis, not this stuff. So. Out of family duty, I volunteered to take his place. And I didn't take it terribly seriously. I loved the, the feeling of it, the exotic nature of the instrument built for me as a little kid. And when I came back, it was definitely going to be science. And then won a competition when I was 14. The award was to perform with the Minnesota Orchestra as soloist for 10,000 people. And I thought, you know, this is even more fun and exciting than seeing my worms and grasshoppers go up in the space, <laughs> I think I'll switch gears and become a guitarist. So that's what happened. And was there a tipping point where you just, where Sharon Isbin became Sharon Isbin, the classical guitarist? Where, was there a point in your life or has it been just a gradation or where you just, this is for me, this is an extension of me? Well, I think at that point, I, I really decided to put my time into it. So instead of five hours with science, it'd be five hours on the guitar every day. And the process of becoming a musician, it really is a lifelong one. So I feel like I'm discovering something every day and it, it doesn't happen overnight. So I feel that that sense of experience, life experience that you give to the music, which is my language, is, is something that changes really every day. And the way I can find to express that is, is a growth process too. So I feel TM has really helped in that because it frees me to, to access whatever inner creativity there is and to, to do it fearlessly, I think is important as well. How does it help you do something fearlessly? Because part of what fear is, I think, is worrying about the what ifs, what if that, what if that. Well, if you do your preparation ahead of time, and you have enough confidence to know that you've, you've done the work, then you just have to sort of flick the switch and let the rest happen. And 
the kind of flicking of the switch that I do when I play, if I'm playing at my best, is really not unlike the, the meditation process when you go to another state, you just go there. And I, I think that one facilitates the other, perhaps. Now, one last thing, and then we're going to bring up Dr. Rosenthal. Um, we can talk about transcendent experiences. You can talk about that experience of unity, and yet you also talk for mentioned the anxiety or the stresses or the pressures. What are the stresses that you face in this profession today or have faced, and how has that transcendent experience of experiencing that silence at the depth of the ocean, that pure consciousness, how has that translated into an ability to handle those pressures and stresses? Well, part of it, it, it you get perspective. So if something seems like it's a, a, just a, a really terrible experience, you, you, it may be, but if it's not, then you can have perspective and move beyond that. And I think that for me, just feeling the sense of, of joy in the work that I do and belief in that and having the confidence and not the distraction of stress. I mean, the stress can be, how do you get from venue to venue dealing with airports, uh, having to walk out and know that 10 million people are listening to you live. I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of people. <clears throat> so <laughs> you wanna be able to focus on what's important and what's meaningful and what is real. And I think that that process is something TM has certainly helped me with. It diffuses the stress so I can find solutions because it's something we all deal with and find a way to just come back to what is authentic. So before I, thank you, before I uh, bring Dr. Rosenthal, I want to go back for a moment. I don't want anybody in the audience to be thinking, well, I do mindfulness and what's this TM stuff? I don't want that because the fact of the matter is there's been far too much siloing of meditation approaches and there are legitimate effective forms of meditation and properly understood in practice, they support each other. They're different mechanics and they have different outcomes. So what we're doing is we're just looking sort of more digging into this particular type um, because that's what we do. And the beautiful thing about the JCC is they're offering th this platform to talk about many, many different things. So I don't want to, I personally myself have been doing TM for 48 years, um, as I said, but I also have learned mindfulness and all these others, and I incorporate them in my life as they are relevant coping mechanisms and breathing tools. It, it's absolutely, this is that these days we need more tools, not less more tools, not less. So I, just, I want everybody to feel comfortable and we're just having an opportunity to look deeply at this. And according to science, uh, and I'm getting this out of the way so Dr. Rosenthal can move on from this, according to science, there are three basic types of meditation. One is called focused attention, which is a form of meditation that is a, a Vipassana is one, it's a concentration form of meditation, it's focused attention. In that analogy of the ocean, it's an attempt to stop, clear the mind of thoughts or stop thinking or cal just calm the monkey mind. And this requires considerable effort and it creates something called gamma brain waves, which are 20 to 60 cycles per second. And those same cycles show up in the brain when your child is studying for an exam or when you're studying, concentrating. Uh, the second type is called, so that analogy is like trying to stop the waves. The second, the second type of meditation is called open monitoring. 
and open monitoring. Many mindfulness techniques are actually both focused attention and open monitoring, but in this it's an observational tool, and probably many of you have tried this, where you are taught to emotionally disengage from a, a, a feeling or from an experience or from a thought and live in the be present, and that includes body scans and breath work and watching your breath. And the whole idea there is the content of thoughts can be disturbing to the calm. So if you have a thought about Joe and Joe really ticks you off and actually thought about Joe's been ticking you off for about 10 years, <laughs> then that, that stress, that, that experience disrupts the moment. You're not present. You're really in, in, irritated by Joe from 10 years ago. And so mindfulness really teaches us to in, dis, dis, disengage, emotionally disengage and be present. And that can be a wonderful coping tool and that affects the brain in two distinct ways. One is it creates something called theta brain waves, which are five to seven cycles per second. And the reason I'm doing all this, because Dr. Rosenthal, I want Dr. Rosenthal to talk more advanced stuff. Um, five to seven cycles per second, which is just a calm, settled state where you're just thinking, also alpha one. So th those two, and that can be a wonderful coping tool, many things, but in the middle of the day when things get intense, you can take two minutes off and you can do a breathing technique watching your breath on your nostrils or something like that, in and out. That's, that's another approach, legitimate approach. And the third is called self-transcending, and that's where transcendental meditation comes in. And that is not any uh, consideration of the waves on the surface. We don't try to control the mind. We don't try to clear the mind of thoughts or just observe thoughts. We access effortlessly to the use of a mantra this what they call the source of thought, this transcendent level of the mind, which has always been calm and it's there right now. We've just lost access to it. And when that happens, as we'll hear from Dr. Rosenthal, there is, no, you're going to hear it from me, <laughs> there is uh, alpha-1 brain waves, which are 8 to 10 cycles per second, which is an experience of deep inner wakefulness and reflection and, white, and being wide awake. And there's a change in physi physiological... Um, qualities. There's a state of rest deeper than sleep in many regards. So again, my feeling is the David Lynch Foundation works in schools and we provided meditation, TM instruction in schools, half a million kids. And um, we believe that children should be equipped with any tool that works effectively, any tool. Seventy Six West is brought to you by Zabar's and Zabar's.com. In 1934, Lewis and Lillian Zabar opened a shop along Broadway at 80th Street on New York's Upper West Side. Lewis was a stickler for quality, roasting his own coffee and personally visiting smokehouses to sample and inspect fish, rejecting far more than he accepted. Today, Lewis's principles and practices continue to guide Zabar's. Respect the customer. Never ever stint on quality. Offer fair value. And last but not least, keep searching for the new and wonderful. Be sure to visit Zabar's store at 80th and Broadway or visit zabars.com for mouthwatering specialties like bagels, babka, rugelach, smoked fish, and of course, world famous caviar. Zabar's ships to all 50 United States and Puerto Rico so there's no reason your friends can't enjoy the fresh, homemade taste of Zabar's any day of the week.
Dr. Norman Rosenthal is a world-renowned psychiatrist, public speaker, and best-selling author who is known for his innovative research and inspirational writings. He is currently clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine and is listed as one of the best doctors in America. Dr. Rosenthal has practiced psychiatry over three, for over three decades, treating people with all manner of psychiatric and emotional health issues. <clears throat> Dr. Rosenthal did his psychiatric residency at Columbia in New York City before going to the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, where he began his, began his research career in earnest. His first major research contribution was to describe and name seasonal affective disorder, SAD, and to develop light therapy as a treatment for this novel condition. SAD and its milder variant, the winter blues, are now known to affect millions of people worldwide, many of whom have benefited from the light therapy that Dr. Rosenthal pioneered. He's also a highly cited researcher who has written over, researcher who has written over 200 scholarly articles and has authored or co-authored eight popular books, including Winter Blues, the New York Times bestseller, Transcendence, the Washington, Times, Washington Post bestseller, Supermind. Please welcome Dr. Norman Rosenthal. Well, thank you for that introduction. The science of creativity and the brain and meditation, what does that mean? Well, I think if we look at what we know about the brain in transcendental meditation, which is what we're talking about basically today, there really are three domains of research that have touched upon that topic. The one is the wavelengths in the brain that Bob alluded to, and that is a special alpha-1 type of wavelength that is associated with calm self-reflection, which is really in keeping with our subjective experience. And that predominates during uh, meditation. How's my mic? Okay. That predominates during meditation um, as we experience transcendence and actually spills over into our waking state as we meditate for longer and longer. That's the thesis of supermind. It's really the growth of consciousness because it's wonderful to sit down for 20 minutes twice a day and experience this transcendent experience, the relaxation of the body, the special state of mind um, that Sharon has spoken about is so generative of creative ideas. But even more wonderful than that is the way this progresses over time and infuses one's daily life with that same kind of combination of calmness, energy, and creativity. So the first domain then is the wavelengths. The second is called coherence, which is when they look at the wavelengths in different parts of the brain, they find that there's a correspondence that they call coherence that increases when you meditate with TM. So if you think about creativity... What does that mean? There's a correspondence. What, is, what does that mean? Yeah, okay. Um, so let's say we've got the alpha-1 waves that I was just talking with you about. So this piece of the brain, it shows it on the EEG. You put little electrodes on the scalp. You measure the brain waves coming off the electrodes. So let's say that here we've got alpha waves, then here we've got alpha waves, then here we've got alpha waves, and when you plug this all into a computer model, 
that looks at correlation and intercorrelation between these different regions, it is enhanced during TM. So there's a greater uh, coherence. And so if you think about creativity, creativity is the pulling together of disparate ideas, things that are obviously being generated in different parts of the mind. And so the increase in coherence can correspond to that. In addition, the creative process requires a certain amount of settled elements within us. In other words, we can have our brains going like a squash court with a ball jumping off all the walls. But if there isn't a kind of way of sitting down and pulling that all together and kind of quieting yourself so that what's really important begins to emerge, new things, it's amazing, new things begin to emerge. Um, it makes sense, really, if you think of different parts of the brain working together in a more united, more coherent way. Now, the final element is really re interesting. It's called the default mode network. It turns out that when you're not really focusing on something, there's a whole inner part of the brain that kind of comes online. It's called the default mode network, the network of the brain that comes alive by default when you're not actually, quote, doing anything. <coughs> well, when you do TM, the default mode network comes online. When you're doing mindfulness because you're focusing, it closes down because it's default. It's not when you're concentrating. So these are three potential ways in which the brain may contribute to what Sharon has so eloquently described. Um, I remember I, I'm going to name drop for a moment just because you know this person and she's funny, but it makes a point. In the work that I do with the foundation, I come across some very interesting people who want to learn to meditate and want to help. And one was Ellen DeGeneres. And I asked her why she wanted to learn to meditate. And she said, I want to maintain permanent connection with the intelligence that runs the universe. And I thought, wow. And then she paused and she said, and I can't sleep at night. <laughs> and I think. Dr. Rosenthal, that those are two things. There's two, they're two in some way competing. We want to be more creative. We want to grow. We, we want to grow in our relationships. We want, to, we want to grow in our work. We want to feel challenged. We want, and we also want to, we don't want to feel like we're stale inside. We want to be growing at the same time. High levels of anxiety, headache, ins you know, insomnia, all these different very real stress-related issues that impede our ability to grow and, and uh and um, be satisfied, feel, feel like we're challenged. Could you just for a moment, just talk a little bit about what meditation can do? You know, I'll just tick them off, anxiety. We're New Yorkers, we have a lot of anxiety. It decreases anxiety. There's a you know, comparison analysis of multiple studies showing that it decreases anxiety. Why? Well, I think, remember, um, you're mentioning some really important points, all of which have to do with the body. Sleeping, headache, all these things. The mind and the body are very interconnected. And as you've described, when you meditate, the body kind of settles down, it comes to a state of rest. And you can literally feel the uh, dissolution, the evaporation of headache or pains in your body or tension, it just kind of settles down. So. The body is a very important component in anxiety. And then, of course, um, just as 
Sharon mentioned, sometimes we can make mountains out of molehills. Now, sometimes it really is a mountain, and you've got to recognize it as such, but so many times we sweat the small stuff. And I've personally experienced so many instances where something might upset me, and in the past I would have felt the need to act in some way to try and resolve it or sort it out or settle it. And now I'll say, well, you know, I don't know what that was all about. Maybe I'll deal with it tomorrow. You know, Scarlett O'Hara fashion. <laughs> and, and by tomorrow, it's kind of dissolved because it wasn't that big a deal to start with. Sometimes I remember, you know, you say something at night to someone and then you get a good night's sleep and then you wake up the, most, the, the next morning and you go, yikes, whoops. Because <laughs> you, know, you settle down and you have things in a bigger... How does rest... And then I have a question for you, Sharon. How does rest... No, how does rest do that for us. And also, if you could talk a little bit about heart health and, and meditation. Yeah, I'd just like to add, in addition to saying something at night, you can also hit the send button on the email, <laughs> right. which is a very dangerous thing to do late at night. So um, heart health is enormously benefited um, by TM, and there's solid research, multiple controlled studies showing drops in blood pressure which we know is known as the silent killer for a good reason. And also actual studies where they have followed people prospectively and seen that the prevalence of stroke and heart attack greatly diminishes and actually death diminishes. So I've often thought to myself, you know, if there were no other benefit for 20 minutes twice a day than cutting down one of the biggest killers in developed countries, um, one would want to do it just for that reason alone. But as we know, and as the topic of tonight indicates, there are so many other reasons, including being more creative and leading a more vibrant and energetic life. Thank you. I, I was amazed by reading one of the articles that came out from the TM Center recently about how it defies the aging process. And I thought, hmm, I could get into that. <laughs> and I think a lot of people could. So that is, it's not only related to keeping yourself healthy, but it actually, I believe, has an effect on your skin and just your, your whole manner of being to defy the aging process. That would, that, that's just a gift. You, you know, I love that comment. And just to uh, paraphrase uh, a statement that's often made about love, the same can be said about creativity, that we don't stop being creative because we get old. We get old because we stop being creative. Mm. And so I think that by making us continually creative, that we actually extend not only our life, but the quality of our life. Absolutely. I know personally, my writing has actually increased since I started meditating now nine years ago. All of my best books have come out since that time. So I'm going to change the subject. I want to go back. Thank you very much. I want to go back to that experience for me when you were performing just then. It was so extraordinary. And <clears throat> does that happen every time you perform? And is it the nature of the, is there, are there certain pieces that you play that are more conducive for that settling down and that sort of transcendent experience? And is there at a time when you're in a concert when you feel I, we're all, you know, I could do this and move people that way, or I could do that. Talk a little bit more about that experience, because I was just watching you, and it was just like transcendent experience. Well, certainly there are pieces that are more conducive, as you mentioned, but I think that 
I'm discovering more and more now how to just do it. And there's certainly been an element of that all my life that has grown. But what does I that feel mean, just do it? That I can go to that place and do it in such a way that I am completely comfortable and very much at ease with going to a very deep place in the music, in my feeling, and in that process of sharing with you. I think that that is something that is even happening more now than ever before for me. And I, uh, of course, you know, would love to thank TM for that process, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm glad that it is happening. So one second, you know, I, I want to ask a question. Norm, person doesn't start meditating and get to play like that. So not, not every, you know, what, what does meditation, doesn't make everybody a great concert guitarist, doesn't make everybody a, a brilliant psychiatrist. What, what role does meditation have in that skill set? Well, I think it takes the things that we basically are good at and it brings out the best in us. That's what I think it does. There's a, a word called dharma. Anybody heard that term before? Dharma. Yeah, dharma means that action that you do that um, when it's your dharma that brings you energy, that brings you life, that makes you feel strong. So you can have a dharmic relationship that makes you feel great and you can have an adharmic relationship that is the opposite. You feel drained and you can have... So if you're in the right profession, then it's your dharma and you love it. And I think meditation for me has allowed me to sort of know what my dharma would be and then live it. Yeah, Norm? I just wanted to follow up on what Sharon was saying, that the prefrontal cortex, um, that part just behind the forehead, is the one that's kind of orchestrating a lot of the things we do. But when you have a great gift and talent such as Sharon has, there's a kind of a, like a muscle memory and a kind of a flow that you get into. And if your prefrontal cortex starts interfering with that, then it takes you out of the zone. What, what do you mean interfering? Well, it's, it's been sort of, um, I, I've had the pleasure of working with, uh, you know, some very fine sports people and others, and they, they learn, for example, a pitcher learns how to pitch in a certain way, and they've got to just let it rip in the way they've learned all this time. And if they start second guessing, what if the guy does this, what if the guy does that, and start putting their reasoning brain in. A funny example is, you know, if somebody's beating you at tennis and you want to sort of psych him out, so to speak, you say, now, you know that backhand of yours? It's really so amazing. Show me exactly how you do it. Mm -hmm. And then you're taking the sort of automatic process and you're putting it into the reasoning Rule, Norm. area. Yeah. So that's what TM does the opposite of. It takes it out of that zone and puts it back That, that experience of the zone, for me, I, I remember as a kid, and I'm sure other people have this experience, when I was like 10 years old and I'd come home and I'd the, the sun would be going down and I love shooting playing basketball, I love shooting hoops. And there'd be those times when you just like jump shot, jump shot, jump shot, swish, swish, swish. You just like, and then all of a sudden you go, wow. And then you stop it. You know, as soon as, as soon as you got in the way of the whole thing. Do you, do you feel like you're in the zone when you perform every time or often? Are there times, are there different performances? At the end of an evening you go, mm -hmm. 
Or is it all from that level after all these it, years? It really can vary. And of course, it's the moment you start congratulating yourself that it's going well. That's the, <laughs> the, the one you don't want to have happen. <laughs> in addition to, I want to hear from both of you, in addition to meditation, what are the other elements of a creative life? What are the other elements that a person could do to foster or facilitate the creative process? Norman. Well, I think you have to take your creativity seriously. You have to say, this is really important. This is a dream of mine and I'm holding on to it. And I'm gonna allocate the time that it needs. The discipline, I'm gonna develop the discipline. I'm gonna learn from people who know more than I do or know different things than I do. And creativity, it just doesn't just happen. It has to be cultivated. And that's, um, you, you know, can be quite an arduous process. But I think one thing TM does is it brings great joy into what is a difficult discipline and a solitary discipline in many instances. You're there alone with your thoughts, alone with your music, your ideas, your words, depending on what kind of creativity you do. These are things that you need to do you can't just meditate and hope it all happens. There's a wonderful line that says, casual attention brings casual results. <laughs> I've always loved that. And the other thing that, that uh, was, two once you have an idea that's great, there's two uh, elements that you need, and it plays on what you just said. Uh, conviction, so you have a vision or a dream or something, so you have conviction, which I see as a very vertical process. You feel deeply in your heart, in your soul, this I believe in, this I want. And it can be a conviction of a relationship, it can be a conviction of something you're doing in your life, a new business. So conviction, you have to have that. But then the other element which is horizontal is persistence. So that over time, so you have that conviction about a relationship, you have that conviction about a vision you have for, for a job you're going to do, but over time. And um, would you comment on that? in your life? I was just having a flashback when I was in college that the woman upstairs uh, came knocking on my door and said, why are you playing the same thing over and over and over and over again? <laughs> so a few people understand that's what we really have to do to get it to really to, to the place where we want it. But when you were asking about also creativity and what are the other things you can yes, do. Yes, what, what do you do? I, f I find that an openness to new, what is new and unexpected without judging it and just exploring it is has been really helpful. And it has led me to places that few in, in, in my profession have gone. I, I've had the joy of collaborating with people as diverse as Joan Baez and recording with her and performing with her and uh, Steve Vai, the rock guitarist, and Stanley Jordan, the tapping guitarist, Mark O'Connor, the country fiddler. I'm just the classical player, but I didn't say no. I said, well, let's see, what, we, what can we do? And this all began many years ago when Lorindo Almeida and the late Larry Coriel asked me to join them in a trio. And I thought, hmm, what are we gonna play? And they said, don't worry about it, we'll make arrangements for you, and we ended up performing together for five years. And I think that openness, working with Joe Beam, uh, it's, it's part of what allows you to go far, far beyond what you imagine your horizon is, because we're only limited by ourselves, nothing else, really. You both teach, Juilliard, and you're a coach, and you're a psychiatrist and a coach. Can you teach, and let's, all right, we got meditation, good.
So can you teach creativity? When you have a student who's at Juilliard, can you see right away, oh, if this person used, pursued persistent conviction and persistent, they could be great. This person, they're gonna have to work hard. They're never gonna be great. Is that true or can a person become great and can become creative? Can you teach creativity? Everybody can become better than what they are. So that's a given. And with my students, I, I take some really incredibly talented people and I just wanna bring them to the, the best they can be. So it might be teaching them colors, how to create, like, like a painter would paint on a canvas. We can do that on the guitar from very bright sounds to dolce and how to express that and where to express it and why, what does it mean? And breathing into something, uh, using vibrato, which I feel is infusing a note with the soul. There are many, Te techniques I can teach them and how it makes it far more interesting. And then I'll go, oh my God, yes. So then I know I'm reaching them because they can feel it, they can experience it. So there certainly is a way you can, you can teach a lot of those elements of creativity. Norm? Well, one of the biggest things I think that you can teach people is to remove obstacles to their creativity. They may be very, very creative, but they may be putting up unnecessary barriers. And, you know, as Sharon was saying, to be open, the opposite would be to close off an idea before you've had a chance. And as at the NIH, I was teaching many young researchers to, to move along, and I could see the ones that would quickly cut off. No, that can't be right. Well, why not? Let's think about it. And I've always found that the best developments in creativity occur when you are willing to consider the unimaginable. Right. And that's when you really break through and things that seemed ridiculous later look obvious. Like now it's obvious that light alters mood. But when I started with the work decades ago, it seemed ridiculous. I remember one colleague at a meeting one time coming, saying to me, come, let's stand under the light. I'm already feeling depressed. <laughs> and she was joking with me. And so don't put obstacles there, remove them. And that's where I think teaching can really help to take the obstacles away. And both of you both living examples. I mean, Dr. Rosenthal pioneering light therapy and really a pioneer with, with the research on, on TM on this particular form of meditation. Dr. Rosenthal has been instrumental in bringing this to the forefront of, of the scientific community. And both of you just extraordinary. I hope what you take from this evening is the importance of meditation. It's not a luxury anymore. You've heard us focus on transcendental meditation. Maybe there's a resonance for you. Maybe there's interest in something else. I would just say, take the time to meditate. Pick something that has evidence, that's accessible, that you can do, that's not frustrating and, and irritating and makes you feel worse because you can't do it. Find something, but it's not a luxury anymore. The trajectory that we're on in society is not getting any less stressed. The demands are not getting any less. We now understand very clearly the effect of stress on the brain and on our body. And there's no pill. So I am extremely great. I mean, Dr. Rosenthal came up from Washington, DC. Sharon Isbin is one of the most sought after and most um, you know, in-demand 
concert um, guitarists and a very dear, both of them are very, very dear friends. And so warm appreciation. I'm so grateful to the two of you. Thank you. That was Bob Roth, Sharon Isbin, and Norman Rosenthal. Our podcasts are produced by Megan Whitman and me, Eric Winnick. Our editor is Matt Temkin. Our music was written and performed by Peril Wolf. The voice of Zabars is Leah Rosensweet. Please give us a rating and review on iTunes, and if you can, share this episode with your friends. If you're just joining us, welcome, and be sure to subscribe for future episodes. <laughs>